damn it, Megan, if your TikTok dancing isn't just (laughs) (laughs) funneling us ever closer towards the doom. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host. Martha Sullivan, currently uh, in recovery after an unfortunate dental procedure. Yeah, that sounds bad. Are you, like, doped up at all, or are you just in, like, mild mouth pain? I'm just in mild mouth pain. Uh, For our listeners, I had a root canal today, so it is not really surgery. They just uh, pulled out an old filling that had developed a cavity behind it, uh, which was irritating the nerve and causing uh, permanent nerve damage. So they pull out the damaged nerves, pack it full of something, and then in a couple weeks I'll have to go to my regular dentist to get a permanent crown put on. Fun. Mouths are gross and terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, mostly my face is just really sore because my mouth was open for two hours. Uh Yeah, that is an uncomfortable position to be in. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Uh, Well, luckily, we are not having to worry about any sustained mouth trauma in this episode, just trauma to every other part of the body, uh, because we are talking, and emotions, uh, because we are talking about John Wick, the John Wick series of uh, modern action movies, and sort of how that has influenced a whole decade plus of action movies and, you know, sort of counter uh, influences. Uh, Now, John Wick 4 just came out, but Martha has not seen it yet, so this whole podcast will be spoiler-free for John Wick 4, but spoiler-full for John Wick's one through three. Uh, so oh, yeah. that's that's just get into it. Mm-hmm. That's just the table setting. But before we go and eat off that high table, uh, it's only fair to share with you what is stuck in our heads this week. That's whatever piece of pop culture we want to be talking about. Uh, so Martha, what is stuck in your head this week? Succession is back, baby. Heck yeah! For our final season, which makes me sad. Um, but all good things should come to an end. Uh, And I am glad that we get one more season of the Roy siblings behaving badly and Brian Cox just being very scary and blustery. And yeah, I watched the season premiere today. I don't know when it officially premiered. Probably a Sunday evening. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Uh, We're recording on a Monday, so I, I think it was last night. Okay, but yeah, everyone's back. I'm so glad. I'm very interested uh to watch and see how everybody does permanent and emotional damage to themselves over this season uh emily st james is writing power rankings after every episode for vulture so i highly recommend you check those out just to see in the boxing ring who's coming out on top every episode but yeah for (laughs) me it's definitely succession nice uh i always love whatever matthew mcfadden is doing on that show uh all the time so I have not seen the the most recent episode, so because uh, it just came out yesterday. Uh, but I'll be carving time, or maybe I'll just wait until it's all done and then binge it, which I did for the previous three seasons. I will say, um, Sarah Snook is doing some very good work in this premiere episode. Her she, face, she's Shiv. Yes, mm-hmm. she plays Shiv Roy, and the number of emotions that she has to go through on her face without actually saying anything, because Shiv's whole deal is, I, you know, not yeah. saying anything to indicate emotional vulnerability, uh, is very, very good. Excellent. Uh, well, what's stuck in... Uh, what is... Yeah, what's stuck in your head, Pete? Yeah, what's stuck in my head is a book, uh, Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Uh, this book is the first of a series, the Children of Blank uh, series, each novel being a different, you know, Children of whatever. Uh, it's some far future sci-fi. This first book came out in 2015, and I'd, like, seen it on my local indie bookstore shelves with, like, a note of being like, it's good sci-fi. And then I feel like in the past six months or so, with the release of the newest book in the series, there has just been, I, my particular social media bubbles have been full of references to uh, to Adrian Tchaikovsky, to the series, all the rest of it, uh, where I learned about it for the first time and decided, oh, this is entirely up my alley. Um, the first book, uh, quickly, is about, on the one hand, a 
basically like a, a generation ship of the last survivors of a burned and desolate Earth. Uh, and on the other hand, a planet that humans were trying to uh, basically seed with monkeys that then they were using a virus to bootstrap into an intelligent species... That experiment went awry, and rather than monkeys being bootstrapped into an intelligent species, it's spiders. So it is a planet of super-intelligent and evolved spiders. Uh, and then the humans who are encountering them. Uh, and just the various... I've heard of this. It's... If, I have heard of this. Yeah, if, if that sounds at all up your alley, it is incredible. Um... As I've been reading this, I also it, uh, it's giving me real vibes of like Edward Rutherford, who writes his, who writes historical fiction of places. So like he's got a book about Dublin set over like a thousand years, and each section of the book is like you know we've we've gone forward a generation or two, and you can see how the world is changing, how the names sort of like get condensed or changed or whatever, how you know the former generation leaders are now you know how the wheel of, of fate has sort of changing everyone's places over the generations. This is very much like that because it's spanning from when the like when the planet is first being seeded with life like terraformed by humans all the way to 10,000 years later when the hyper intelligent spiders meet the last remnants of humanity who have just been going in and out of cold sleep on their generation ship. Uh so it is it 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 is like a perfect Venn diagram of my interests of um you know <laughs> Hyperintelligent spiders, sci-fi, and generation ships. Uh, the passage of time and how that changes, like, looking at a story through the sweep of eons. Um, yeah. Uh, I know that the second book in the series is, I believe, about hyperintelligent octopi, which is literally my interest. Uh, and then the third book in the series is hyperintelligent corvids, also literally my interest. So I am I'm very excited to continue reading this series. Yeah, sounds rad. Um, Adrian Tchaikovsky is also a name that I recognize. I run the um, science fiction and fantasy book club at the library that I work at, and that name has definitely come up uh, in conversation before. So he's someone I've been meaning to check out. Mm -hmm. Cool. I just haven't yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, this was a name that like it had been kind of popping in and out, and then I actually got a quick one-on-one on what the books are about. And I was like, I need to, I need to check this out soon. And now I am. Sure. And it's great. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's going to be all about John Wick. back. So in this episode, we are talking about the film series John Wick. Uh, as I said before, we are fully spoiling John Wick's one through three, and we are going to mention but not spoil John Wick chapter four, which just came out last week as of this recording. Uh, the John Wick uh, series. He, yes. Can I just pause you real quick um, just to do a, a very, very fast rest in peace for Lance Reddick? who yes. is a key key component to these movies. Um, we'll get into the role that he plays, but I think that in a lot of ways, he is part of the kind of beating heart of them, and he very tragically passed away last week. Um, so I just wanted to, to quick put that out there. Um, Lance Reddick was an incredible character actor. He popped up in so many things and really was the kind of actor where, where you... When you saw him in the credits, you kind of knew that you were about to see some, like, capital A acting. Yeah, he his um, range was incredible, and he was absolutely fearless in taking on sometimes absolutely insane assignments and giving them his all. <laughs> and, yeah, and absolutely and just, changing the tenor of every scene he was in. So, yeah, I just, I, I find his loss to be pretty devastating, and... um. He's a big part of what I really love about these movies. So I just wanted to to start us off with that. Yeah, we'll we'll get into it, but his performance in John Wick 3 is uh incredible. Um so uh, quick quick broad strokes though. Uh the John Wick series is about John Wick, a man played by Keanu Reeves who is a retired assassin. Uh he was known as the Baba Yaga, the Baba Yaga, uh by the Russian mob in New York. Um, and he was sort of 
he was the boogeyman of the assassin world. He was the one that other assassins were terrified of. Um, the first movie, famously, he comes out of retirement when uh, the son of the Russian mob uh, gang boss kills his dog and steals his car. And so now it's a revenge flick. Um, from that simple premise is built up four movies worth of insane world building of this entire world of assassins who have currency of special gold coins, who uh, reside in uh, intercontinental hotels where no business can be conducted on hotel grounds on pains of excommunication. There are blood oath uh, amulets being traded around. There is a cadre of... Uh, 50s punk librarian chic uh, telephone operators who pass the word around throughout the whole underground. Um, and there is the high table, the sometimes faceless, sometimes uh, big bad faced uh, leaders of this entire criminal world. Uh, most of the series takes place in New York City, but by the fourth movie, we're sort of doing some globe trotting as well. And across all the films, these movies are defined by their stylishness their incredible violence, but also their incredible choreography. Every fight scene is a ballet. Um, sort of the relentless pacing of them and the uh, uh, stylishness both in terms of like their suits and whatnot, but also in terms of the locations, the visuals, the lighting. And of course, at the core is Keanu Reeves giving... He will, he will go down in history. The first line of his obituary will be that he was Neo from The Matrix. But the second line is probably that he was John Wick. Um, this is an absolute career. It would be a career-defining performance for anyone else. For him, it's like his second of five absolutely career-defining performances. Um, well, and I think that that's fair since the reason the John Wick movies exist is because of The Matrix. Yes, 100%. All three or all four movies are directed by uh, Chad Stahelski, who was a former stuntman and uh, choreographer and worked with Reeves or yeah, worked with Reeves during The Matrix franchise. He was uh, Reeves uh, stunt double uh, during The Matrix franchise and now has gone on to become a director of some incredibly slick action movies. Um. This well, I this was my idea of a of a homework assignment. I wanted to talk John Wick. I wanted to talk about how it influenced action movies uh, of the past fifteen years or so. And I did not realize that you had not seen even a single movie um, before like a month ago. So what what is your impression of the series? So the first thing I want to tell you is that before I watched the first John Wick movie, I did not know that he was. A retired assassin. <laughs> you thought he was just like a I, guy whose dog was killed? Yes, and I thought that by the end of the movie... Also, John Wick 1 came out in 2014, so we're yes. talking ten just years. about 10 years. Yeah. Not 15. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I thought that the story of John Wick was this guy learning to become a very good hitman. Mm -hmm. And then by the end... Because I, I knew that there was like this whole expanded world and i knew they were making the continental into a tv show and all of that but i oh they are i did not yes mm. um i didn't i don't know what the plans are for that now that lance reddick has passed away um yeah. but that was the uh the plan um but yeah so i <laughs> that was sort of a when he breaks the concrete floor open in his house after alfie allen kills his dog and steals his car uh and i cried a lot um, I was genuinely like, whoa, <laughs> like that was a genuine surprise to me, which was delightful. Um, one of the things that I think these movies do so well, and I think it is particularly um, on display in the first one, because I think it matters the most in the first one. Like the first one is asking you to hear, oh, yeah, some guy broke into his house and killed his dog and then he killed everyone everyone and that's supposed to be like a rational reaction it's just <laughs> and a stupid I think dog the first one, well i think the first one does a really good job of taking you to a place where you watch it and you're like yeah yeah he should kill all of them <laughs> like learning the way that it sort of takes you through his relationship with his wife and the emotional significance of the dog and what it meant for him to like what he gave up to be with his wife um, and all of that. Like, I, I think it does a really good job of putting you in a place where that does not feel 
like an insane premise. And on, on um, the and flip it can't, side, it cannot. I mean, I, I don't. It can't. It has to feel reasonable to you if you're going to watch it and be on Keanu Reeves's side. Yeah, and and on the flip side, it makes Alfie Allen and his cadre out to be such you know d bags that it's like yeah fine i don't really care what happens to these guys oh like my they, God. they are they are good mooks who can be mowed down with impunity oh yeah well and yeah when they the dog scene you really don't get that much time with the dog and i was still just it's 18 minutes in the the dog is on the dog is on screen for like six minutes total i yes it destroyed me um the other thing that these bo- that these movies do so well, and I really cannot begin to tell you how much I appreciate it about this. So I am a science fiction and fantasy fan and a horror fan. And what that means is that I've seen a lot of really crappy world building. Mm-hmm. And these movies are so good at showing you this completely ludicrous, but intent, incredibly rich world without ever beating you over the head with exposition. Like, every detail is doled out in a way where the movie is like, I trust that you, the audience member, will understand. Like, I get, I understand, I trust that you will pick up what I'm putting down. And it is such a clearly realized world, and every character is so specific. You know no matter how much time anybody spends on screen, like it can be 12 seconds or it can be 30 minutes, but you always know exactly what their deal is. Um, it is really kind of a masterclass in storytelling in a genre that does not typically truck with that kind of rich, um, like that kind of rich world building. Well, and on on top of that, it should collapse under the weight of its own mythology. If I were to explain what's going on in the John Wick universe in like the fourth in in like the fourth chapter to someone who had not seen a single movie, they'd be like, "What is this? There are so many nonsense things you're throwing at me." Um, but because it doles it out over three movies. And one brilliant part about it, I think, is that each movie begins, like, the instant the last movie ended. And it kind of just assumes that you either remember what's going on or you don't really need to because you're like, all right, this guy's running from that guy? Cool. Um, and you can you can play catch up pretty quickly. But because it builds that world over three and four movies, it never—the the feeling of it collapsing under its own weight never really happens because it feels lived in by the time you're in the third movie. You remember, you know, what the rules were back from the first movie. They keep reinforcing it, but in a way that never feels like it's, you know, uh, beating you over the head or just reminding you for no reason. Um, this movie is very—like, the whole series is very uh, interested in the idea of— rules and consequences and that happens like that takes place in each movie such that it reinforces the mythology and the the world building while also driving the plot forward um it also it also means that when the second movie ends the way that it does you understand the weight of that yes um i will say the one part in the third movie where um I do think it starts to starts to get bogged down in its own mythology. The whole sequence in the desert, I could have done without. Um, I thought that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Chad Sahelski has uh, been very open that he was um, influenced by David Lean and uh, especially Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, and to give basically no spoilers, John Wick Four opens with a straight up Lawrence of Arabia uh, sequence. Um, so get ready for a little bit more desert. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's fine. It just in this movie, I was like, we've done a lot. Yeah, yeah. To get here, I don't think we needed to do this. Um, the the third one is also the longest one until four, um, yes. which I haven't seen yet. Um, and there were just moments in it where I was like. I, I feel I'm starting to feel a little exhausted. There there is certainly and I I I think that the action sort of reaches its I don't want to say this necessarily because the action set pieces in the fourth movie are unlike movie unlike action set pieces I've seen in anything else. 
but I feel like the second had sort of the perfect blend of none of the set pieces went on for too long, while also being incredibly unique and varied and set in just incredible locations. Again, I cannot express enough how much this whole series thrives on interesting, unique, beautiful locations lit with crazy neon and dramatic lights that make all of the action feel and look like nothing nothing else that's happening in modern cinema. So you brought these movies to me as a potential discussion topic a long time ago, and I have been resistant to it, I will admit, because I was not quite sure what the question was there, and also because um, the the whole premise of, like, how John Wick reinvented the action movie... Um, kind of itched at me in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And I was having trouble articulating why, but I read recently an article called How John Wick Changed Action Movies and No One Noticed by Ricky Derees, and it was published on Looper.com, I believe, like, maybe a week ago. So it's a, it's a new... Um, new... or a recent article... I think. Nope, published in 21. Oh, well. Um, but one of the things that the author of the article is really good at doing is chasing the lineage of the action movie and sort of pointing out the factors that have built up and culminated in the John Wick franchise. So, for example, um, he points out... So the first thing he does in the article is trace the lineage of uh, gun fu, which is the, <laughs> the style of fighting frequently referred to when you use guns in combination with uh, martial arts that I think... I think the kind term of goes back to equilibrium. Um, oh, no, that was gun kata. Sorry, that was... Yes, uh, that's yes. gun kata. No, the, the, um, the, tech, like the movie technique of gun fu actually goes back to a John Woo movie called A Better Tomorrow in 1986. This is my shocked face that John Woo invented uh, Gun Fu. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And a subgenre commonly referred to as heroic bloodshed. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, he talks about, yeah, then going up through the Matrix and Equilibrium. Um, but he also touches on the influences of the very um, flowing and artistic combat style um, which I think get their roots pretty clearly in like kung fu movies. Yeah. Um. I and like the wuxia style. Of, I mean, we did a whole episode on wuxia cinema. Um. But when well, I watch John Wick, I I see a lot of DNA shared by something like Hero, or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or even um something like The Raid, which is also coming out of that same lineage of cinema. One, 100%. Um, uh, Chad Stahelski, the director, is, in addition to being a stuntman, stunt coordinator, director, he's also a martial artist. So he is coming at it, mm -hmm. like, from, like, being very steeped in that tradition, both through cinema and then through his own, you know, practice of martial arts. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think that there is no, no question that he is... Fully and and like you know Reeves too through through the Matrix, um, which itself is entirely inspired by like wuxia and wire work and and anime. Um, mm -hmm. I think that you know the in in the in the same way that the Matrix brought a lot of that language to America, without you know, it did some some fully revolutionary stuff while also kind of just building on pre existing things happening in in like wuxia and Japanese movie making this is doing the same thing where it's it's synthesizing it it's bringing some new things to it but it's also definitely building on that pre-existing like cinematic language and tropes uh and just sort of making it more widespread here in america i also am glad that you uh brought up stahelski's just love of cinema um because the article also points out that the hall of mirrors sequence in john wick 2 is an homage to bruce lee's enter the dragon mm. so stahelski is definitely very aware of the cinematic language that he's working with and i think he's very respectful of it yeah he's he's a big film nerd from everything i can tell yes 
Um, I do think that the visuals, I mean, the visuals are both very heavily influenced by something like a, a hero or a just, I mean, even like a, it's it's got flavors of like an Italian giallo almost. I, I, like with the, um, with the intense neon lighting, like the greens and the blues mm-hmm. and the reds. Like you don't. Yeah. It's basically, yeah, if you set Susp- the, the original Suspiria in New York City and then lit the whole thing in neon. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, but I, I think that what you may have initially been getting at is how that visual language, that very deeply oversaturated, overlit neon um, very, very stylish aesthetic is now getting picked up in so many things. Well, it's, for, for me, <laughs> it's it's definitely that, but it's a combination of that with the hyperviolence. Um, things yes. like, you know, Atomic Blonde, Gunpowder Milkshake, Bullet Train. These are all, these movies would not exist without John Wick being successful because in, in their own different ways, they are aping the feel of John Wick. Um, well, and Gunpowder Milkshake is a, is an is especially interesting because I think that is also borrowing on the world building of John Wick. Like I had several thoughts while watching these movies that like you could do a crossover between these two movies and it would feel totally natural. Yeah. Yeah. Just have, um, uh, Gillian Flynn, Gillian Flynn, Karen Gillian, Karen. Oh boy. <laughs> Gillian Flynn is an author. <laughs> and is it Gillian Flynn? Uh, whichever way Ed Norton said it in Glass Onion was the wrong way. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but like, put like Karen yeah, have, Gillen, Lena Headey, and Carla Gugino in John Wick. Yeah, like have them show up at the Intercontinental uh, and with some gold okay. coins. And I'd be like, and yeah, Michelle Yeoh. Great. And Michelle Yeoh. Why, why put are Michelle Yeoh people... in a John Wick movie. Um, They also feel very... It's... It is interesting to me because I I think at this point any action movies that exist post the first Fast and the Furious movie are in some way and whatever way that is could probably be debated but are, are in some way in conversation with those movies just because they are such a pop cultural juggernaut at this point. I am pleased that John Wick and the Fast and the Furious movies do just seem to be absorbing who whatever big name in Hollywood feels like doing stunts at the time <laughs> and then keeping them around. It's so good. Um, it does make me wonder um, if like if you couldn't get into Fast and the Furious, did you send Chance Stahelski an email and be like, hey? <laughs> well, that, actually, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about Fast and Furious, but in a way, they are... I, I was thinking about, like, superhero movies as sort of the opposite of John Wick movies for action. But Fast and Furious might be a better example because at this point, they kind of are superhero movies. The main characters basically cannot get hurt, certainly cannot lose long term... And yet these are incredibly stylish movies that are are full of bright popping colors, uh, crazy neon lights, crazy special effects. But at this point, they're so... And this is not to, you know, I'm not trying to say like one series is better than the other. But John Wick, for all its insanity, does feel a lot more grounded because like he's not going to space or stealing a submarine. Uh, And also because he gets hurt and then it... it, it, Like, this is a much more visceral series where injuries matter in a way where in fast and furious everyone's like a superhero who's invincible visceral yes grounded Mm. i mean like sure right (laughs) like grounded asterisks everyone has magic bulletproof suits so you know it's fine also also (laughs) like the entire world is connected in this network of assassins <laughs> one one thing i actually truly love and, and this jumped out of me in the second john wick is uh when he's coming back to new york and there's that amazing silencer shootout scene as they're walking through uh, the subway station or whatever mm-hmm. train station it is and you have all these new yorkers just not paying any attention to what's going no. around and i i think that because... that's that's doing some fun stuff for the world building of like oh these assassins move in shadows also it's a bit of a dig at like a fun dig at like new yorkers being like oh some dude's bleeding on the subway all right well that's his business not mine i mean by the end of john wick 2 it's basically like oh 
everyone is part of this world. <laughs> well, but it's like you're either part of this world or you're just not noticing what's going on, which I think is really fun. You don't have people running away screaming, you know, because if you're not trying to kill John Wick, you're just walking past whatever violence is happening. And I, yeah, I think it is like much that. more. I think it's much more of a Discworld Assassin's Guild kind of deal where it's just like, oh, that is <laughs> you, a thing that exists. Right. You've got the right paperwork, so no one's going to hassle you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the first one, a cop straight up asks John Wick, like, oh, are you working again? <laughs> I miss that guy. He he shows up at the, at the beginning of the second and then not in the third. And that's just a fun little bit of like, I, I never took that as... as as, as it being a, a Discworld Assassin's Guild thing, more just like, this cop kind of knows the score and is like, hey man, everything okay here? No? Okay, <laughs> well, you do you. <laughs> I can see you have this all under control, so I'll go back and uh, deal with other things. Uh, something that I would like to posit to you about the second movie, there were definitely moments in that where I watched it and go, oh, this is a vampire movie. <laughs> Because it is about an elite class of incredibly stylish people who never come out during the day and spend a lot of time killing each other. And I was thinking this, and then we have the sequence where um, the woman that John Wick is hired to kill slits her wrists in the bathtub. Mm, yep. And the way that that is framed, I was like, that's... Someone wrote this for a vampire movie and it just got <laughs> retooled to well, be in this. And then it's immediately followed by, like, a rave in some Roman ruins. It's, the whole thing is just very, I don't know if it would be more accurate to say vampire-inspired, but I was like, this is basically a vampire story. I mean, more more than just a vampire story, it's like a vampire the masquerade kind of story. Like, it's, yes. it's that particular flavor of vampire. <laughs> yes. It, it gave me very strong underworld vibes. Yes. Which does a combination of vampire murder and also gun murder. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm on the wiki right now of John Wick Two to see if there's any any discussion of them doing a pre <laughs> doing a quick punch up on a pre existing script. Uh, I I do think I I have heard uh, an interview with uh, Chad Sahelski basically saying the way that at least the fourth one came about was him and Keanu sort of having a drink during the press of of John Wick Three not knowing if they wanted to do a sequel. And over the course of the drinks, we're like, oh, here's some cool stuff that could happen in the future. Yeah. Wake up the next morning and be like, so we're going to we're gonna do a sequel, right? Because the things we talked about were pretty cool. Um, well, and I believe that um, I don't have the interview in front of me. I would have to find it. Um, but I believe that the production company wanted... Um, Stahelski to be working on five concurrently with four. And he said that he did not yet have a story idea for four. So these movies make so much money. Yeah. But it is also kind of encouraging to know that Stahelski is basically making them as he has ideas for them. Yeah, he's he said that he he makes the like he comes up with the story that he would like to see, and then that's what he does. And if he doesn't have that, then he doesn't have that. Um I just really hope that this doesn't... I, I hope he does not get them taken away mm. from him because of that. I'm, I'm hoping that as long as they keep making money hand over fist, that that won't happen. Right. The, the real um, problem is the, like, if he's like, and I've told the story I want to tell, and then uh, whoever the studio is... Why do I not know the studio? I don't know off the top of um, my head. Yeah. Uh, whatever studio it is, is like, well, we would like you to continue making more. <laughs> um, yeah, unless yeah. he has like an ironclad. Um, I mean, Summit Entertainment. Contract with them. It's, it's Lionsgate is the distributor. And oh, shoot. He's going to be able to do whatever he yeah, wants. Yeah, I think. He <laughs> exactly. Like it's, it's, um, it, it's Summit Entertainment, which is owned by Lionsgate. And then one of the production companies is one that I think he's a part of. Um, Honestly, God bless Lionsgate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, I guess like the, the counterpoint movies that I want to talk about here are like we, we have this and then there is the Fast and Furious, but then there are a lot of other at like at this point, the major other action movies coming out are superhero movies and they're so dissimilar from from these movies 
not just for the violence, but also just for, like, the stylization and in a way, like, the craftsmanship. These, I, I think one move, one reason these movies work so well is that everything is, core, like, these movies live and die on their action sequences. So those action sequences are absolutely choreographed to a T and look immaculate and amazing. And then on top of that, you have the the gorgeous costumes, the beautiful locations, and the crazy lighting, so that it all looks like, you know, like nothing else going on in American film, at least. And then the flip side is the superhero movies, which are mostly all CGI, and at this point, I don't know, it might just be fatigue, and I'm not trying to set these up as one being better than the other, but I think there's a definite sort of, like, here's one way we do action, here's another way we do action, and one of them feels, you know, very... Wrote and bloated, whereas these always feel, even when they feel overly long, they are interesting and unique to look at. I think that, first of all, I almost feel like James Bond would be a more accurate comparison. Hmm. Um, but also, I think that that is more true now. Um, I think that when the superhero movies were not coming out as quickly, mm -hmm. um, because I, I do see, like, if you go back to the original Iron Man, I think that that has more of the feel of what you're talking about. I mean, they're never going to be as brutal as John Wick. Right, and they, and are, they shouldn't be. They're PG-13 movies for everyone. Right, they are. Yeah. Um, but, like, something like an original Iron Man, which actually has some, like, moral ambiguity to it some practical um, effects some practical effects um but then also i something like dr strange in the multiverse of madness where they actually let sam raimi be a little bit more sam raimi mm -hmm. like that has a little bit more of that uniqueness of vision so i i kind of bristle just because i i am still like a fan of superhero movies um i just think that they they have gotten, there are too many of them. Like, I wish that they would release fewer of them and, like, kind of up the investment in each one. Well, I think Disney um, has heard your plea, uh, because at last I've heard they are <laughs> slowing down their their production to maybe hopefully spend a little more time on post-production so they look better. They uh, also just canned the head of their VFX studio. Yeah, so like, I don't know that. what that means. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and not their VFX no, studio, I, head of VFX for Marvel, which then contracts yeah. out to a bunch of independent studios that then they uh, pay poorly and work to the bone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that it is a fair comparison. I think that the goals of John Wick and the goals of Marvel are too different. Um, That's which fair. is why I bring up James Bond as a more, um, parallel uh parallel comparison maybe i also will just admit i'm not a huge james bond fan so did, did you end up seeing um the the last craig one i haven't yet okay um i really enjoyed it as a piece of storytelling like i i'm hit or miss on bond writ large but i really liked craig's go at Me it too i also thought specter was terrible i didn't think it was terrible but i could not tell you a single thing that happened in that movie other than christoph waltz is blowfeld um, it's a less good version it's, of skyfall um which is a great movie yes. i will say yes uh yeah like i i don't think specter was terrible but that's because i don't remember specter at all <laughs> <laughs> fair enough um, but yeah, in terms of like a single a single hero accomplishing something, and then the the Craig movies are more brutal yeah. and more are grimier. Um, There's that the physicality and the like the the brokenness of of the people. And I think it would also be uh, foolish for us not to recognize the DNA of Bond that is in John Wick, what with his suits and. There's not a whole lot of gadgetry, 
but the it's guns like it's there's there's no gadgets but there's usually a scene where you know peter serafinovitz is uh showing you all his vintages uh yes. and, it, and explaining them in immaculate detail and that scene is perfect i would actually love to read a little bit about the like gentleman gentleman assassin gentleman spy character uh, because I feel like Bond popularized that, but I I would love to know if that in, if that originated with Bond or if that came out of something else. Well, I I think that actually like that might have originated with Connery Bond because I I and I've read no Fleming, but my understanding is that Fleming's Bond is closer to Craig of a sort of like blunt instrument type rather than hmm. you know like and like still like a suave guy who gets all the girls, but like not quite the same polished you know, individual uh, that we think of when sure. we think of, like, Brosnan. Um, uh, spe- speaking of, of suits and whatnot, uh, I believe that at, at this point, I would like a some sort of law passed such that Keanu Reeves is the only person allowed to wear an all-black suit uh, and that he should be required to wear an all-black suit at all times because he looks incredible yes. in it. <laughs> I think personally that Keanu Reeves should wear whatever he wants to. Fair. Um <laughs> uh, no, he looks he looks great. <laughs> it's a good look. Yeah, yeah. Um we haven't yet talked about uh the intercontinental hotels, um, and specifically Lance Reddick, as we mentioned, as the uh concierge, and then Ian McShane, my man, as the manager. Uh, oh my god it's it's great it's incredible like i said it the way that they introduce the hotel the way the weight that lance reddick and ian mcshane give everything that they do what they do to um uh adrian palicki at the end of the first movie like all of these things are building blocks so that when the second movie ends your jaw is on the floor mm-hmm and because you fully understand the weight of what just happened. And then when when the hotel management themselves are under the knife in the third movie, you also understand why that might be happening. Um, because it's like, again, actions and consequences. Uh, mm-hmm. So. And it is like it's an entire world where people are trading like they're trading very physical favors, but they are also trading like on the word of their honor. Like you get the idea that John Wick has such a good relationship with so many people this mo- in these movies because he's built the social capital with them over years and years of like being the most honorable version of what all of these people are doing. Well, it's interesting because the gold coins are supposed to be a physical representation of that, but like you know, it's it's sort of a debt system, right? Um, but at so so you have the the physical the actual currency of this world of the gold coins and then in the second we're also introduced to the whatever the the blood print things are the tokens um and then on top of that is what you're talking about of like John Wick's personal interpersonal relationship so that you never see him trading gold coins with Ian McShane uh it's just you know Ian McShane's over there being like Jonathan I wouldn't do that if I were you and then you know that like their their deep and clear long history um ditto with Willem Dafoe who I totally forgot was in the first movie. Oh my god, <laughs> that was so I was so sad. First of all, I was so happy to see him and then yes. I was so sad when he died. Yes. So sad. Although when he does that, again you're like, "Oh no. Oh buddy." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you done did it now. <laughs> Just got a shout out Willem Dafoe, UW Milwaukee alum. Ah, oh, he was so good. Yeah. Uh but like, and and you can understand, like you you get so much understanding of the world and of John Wick himself through the fact that like Willem Dafoe's character is willing to do what he did for for John without with without changing like exchanging these gold coins that are are the currency of the realm, you know. So it's you have this this elaborate system of rules and currency, and then beyond that, you have the like the lived interpersonal experiences. Um, and I want you to keep all of that in mind when you watch the fourth movie. Because uh, that, as you I'm, get, as I'm talking this through, it's, it's really a foundational element of the fourth movie. And I mean, you get a lot of that in the third movie too, when all John Wick has to trade on is his 
like are the, the people that he has known and loved throughout his life. Yeah, yeah. He does um, have he does have the token with Halle Berry, but but the reason he even who, gets like it by it, the way, <laughs> would love to see her come back. Right. I did not I did not think that we got enough of her in that movie. I thought she was great. Agree. I mean the thing with this movie is I would love to see every single minor character come back. Like if if this intercontinental TV show is going forward, please put Peter Serafinovitz in it. Like every episode, just as as the Q type character dispensing his favorite vintages to whomever. That that'd be fun. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else we want to say on this, or have we sort of plumbed the depths? Just I I just wanted to make a last note about the um the continental TV show. The thing that I had heard about it is that it will be a, um, anthology show. Hmm. So, um, Reddick's character as the concierge was meant to be the sort of anchoring point. Uh. Um, but my hope is, and again, I, I think we are all less for having lost him, but I think that the, the expansion of the world that they do in number three to show the intercontinental as this sort of international operation. Well, I've, I've been messing up. I've, I've been messing up all episode. It's just the continental. I've been saying intercontinental because yeah, uh, but I'm it, dumb. it does. Yeah. In two, they do show that it is this sort of international operation. Yeah. Cause they go to Italy. Yeah. Um, but so it would be like an anthology type series showing the people who come in and out, uh, of the continental on business. So I hope they find a way to move on with that. I think it has a lot of promise as a TV show. And I do know that I will always be watching it, wondering what it could have been with Reddick yeah. uh, at the helm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the fourth, they go no, to the Osaka movies... one. So that's, that's something for you to look forward to. Yeah. The, these movies are wonderful. I hope they make them until the heat death of the universe. Uh, before <laughs> I watched the first one, a thought that I had was, well, four of them seems excessive. And now I'm like, mm, <laughs> if, if I, if I pass away at some point and there are not an equal number of these to the fast and the furious movies, which is another franchise that I'm ride or die for. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will consider us having failed as a culture. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, we've we've talked about maybe having an emergency episode after you do see the fourth one so that we can just go full spoilers on that. Um, but until then, kind of feels like a good place to wrap up on. So we'll put a pencil in a dude's hand uh, or maybe eyeball or ear hole uh, as a way to put a pin in it. Uh, <laughs> in any room, in any given room, there are 800 things that John Wick can use to kill you, including the room itself. <laughs> I just I just love that, like, what, the first movie, it's like, he killed two men with a pencil, and then in the second the movie, you see him kill a dude with a pencil. It's the greatest <laughs> callback ever. Uh, so, uh, until we go to our emergency episode, when, Martha, you have seen the fourth one, uh, we're going to wrap it up here. And uh, so we'll we'll segue into our outro, unless you have anything else you want to add. I think so. I think I got everything I wanted to say. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening to us. Uh, you've already listened to an hour of us talking, so you know exactly where to find us. Please rate and review us and tell your friends about us. As always, that is one of your pieces of homework. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at DYDYH Podcast. You can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. And you can find us on Facebook by searching for Did You Do Your Homework Podcast. Uh, Martha, what are you plugging? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on social media at all the places at Magical Martha, except on Tumblr, where you can find me at The Libratrix. That's T-H-E-L-I-B-R-A-T-R-I-X. Uh, <clears throat> Great name. I am mostly on there going semi-viral with photographs of my guinea pigs. So it's a lot like Instagram, except I get more interaction there. <laughs> Um, I also write a newsletter occasionally at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. My last issue was the 10 people who should host the Oscars next year. Mm. Uh, number one being the Muppets, because come on, ABC. A apparently the Muppets have done, have presented awards at the Oscars, but they've never hosted the Oscars. And Howards. yes, yes, that would be ideal. Mostly so that I can see my main mans, Statler and Waldorf. Sitting in that audience, heckling, as it we all deserve. It would be perfect. Yes. 
Um, you can also listen to my other show, which drops on this same feed on alternating uh, release days from Did You Do Your Homework called Love Ya, where Pete's wife Marin and I watch a rom-com or a piece of teen cinema and dissect it in great detail. Our last episode was on the 2000 and... I don't know. We did Leap Year starring Amy Adams and Matthew Good. <laughs> I don't remember what year it came out. Um, and our next episode is going to be Hello, Goodbye, and Everything in Between, which is a 2023 release on Netflix. Nice. You can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, where I'm talking politics and pop culture. And you can also follow me on Letterboxd, where I am uh, P. Romberg. That's P-R-H-O-M-B-E-R-G. Uh, where I am. Oh yeah, follow me there too. Yeah, and you're just Magical Martha there, yeah? Correct. Cool. Uh, yeah, rating and reviewing movies as we all do. Letterboxd, Loki, the best social media platform? Maybe. Question mark? I yeah. think so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cool. Martha, what is our next yes. episode about? Our next episode is about 2023's favorite murder robot, Megan. <laughs> uh, we are going to be talking about the memification of AI and what that means for our popular culture as the robots that we start imbuing with sentimental feelings uh, start being equipped with guns by police forces. Yay. Yay. Uh, also, if you want to get real ambitious, uh, check out um, the... 2001 Steven Spielberg Slash uh, Stanley movie. Kubrick. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, AI artificial intelligence. <laughs> yeah. And we're, Megan we're talking is about... now streaming on Peacock or Paramount. Megan is somewhere. Murder robot girls and little robot boys who love you so much. So, so much. Very much. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you had a great time. Uh, if John Wick is in your wheelhouse, definitely go ahead and go see Chapter 4 uh, whenever you get a chance, if you feel comfortable going out in theaters. Uh, and until then, we'll talk to you in about a month uh, where we're talking about memification of robots. Make sure you do your homework. Class dismissed. Okay, I'm still keeping that incredibly gross pencil reference in, uh, and I'm just going to I keep... missed it. There you go. You just oh. came back. <laughs> <laughs> um...